You're listening to Wired for Impact. This is episode number eight with Charmaine Lamb. Welcome to Wired for Impact, home to creators and entrepreneurs with a calling to make a difference. My name is Peter King, and in each episode, I'll bring you inspirational leaders that'll help you clarify your vision, fuel your purpose, and amplify your impact. I hope you're ready to hear an incredible story because today's guest, Charmaine Lamb, has one in store for you. It details her experience having a miraculous healing with her son that was diagnosed with a very rare disease that was going to render him deaf and blind by the age of 18. And the journey that these two, this mother and son, went through together to not only find healing, but then to take that and amplify that impact in the world is just beyond moving and touching. So I'm excited to share it with you. Let's get into it. Here I am with Charmaine Lamb. All right, I'm here with Charmaine Lamb. Charmaine, thank you so much for joining me on the call. You're welcome. I am excited to get into your story a little bit. We had a conversation not too long ago, and you were just, you were like blowing my mind with some of the stuff that you are into, and uh, more specifically, what you did with your son and, and, and are working through. And I love stories like that. It's something that I love to, to bring to people's awareness that these kind of things are possible. And, uh, and, and the curiosity part of my brain just lit up and was like, Oh, tell me more about that. And let's get you on the podcast and, and hear more about your story. But first and foremost, for the listeners, why don't you just give us a brief over, overview of who you are and we'll kind of go in from there. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to be here with you all today. Um, I was, let's see, born in Africa and grew up in the Middle East and Indonesia and Thailand and all kinds of fun places. I went to boarding school in England, so you'll hear somewhat of an English accent at various points. Um, I did go to university in Scotland, which is where my father is from. And so sometimes there's a little Glaswegian that comes in there too. But I ended up settling in San Diego about 22 years ago. Um, I was eight months pregnant with my son in an abusive relationship, um, which fortunately I was able to get out of very quickly and ended up having my son here, which meant that I couldn't leave the States. Um, he, you know, he's an American citizen. And so I kind of resigned myself to spending the rest of my life uh, in America, um, which interestingly enough, I had informed God when I was 16 that I uh, would live anywhere in the world, um, but I wouldn't live in America, specifically Southern California. I'm not oh, exactly really? sure why I had decided that, but that was my decision. And uh, of course, as these things go, I, I couldn't leave Southern California. <laughs> so, That's so funny. Um, where, where does that come from? How do you... That's such an interesting, <laughs> obviously it came from somewhere. You probably saw a movie, like a, a bad eighties movie from, you know, the, the LA, Southern California, something like, oh, anywhere. I but think there. it was something to do with the earthquakes. Um, uh, and there was some documentary, I think on the LA earthquake or the San Francisco earthquake or something. And yep. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, these people. Yeah. No, I'm not living there. 19, <laughs> I think it was 1989. Uh, I was watching a, a baseball game, a major league baseball game. I think it was the World Series and the whole signal cut out. And then we saw other feed from like, yeah, that hot, the highway that pancaked. Everything was horrific. Yeah, that's very... Yeah. But where can you live where there isn't some type of natural disaster? 
This is true. This right? is so. true. Generally, England's pretty good. We do have the odd flood and stuff, but um, but yeah, yeah but I but I so I mostly grew up um, Middle East and Asia. And um, so as a result, I had seen some really crazy things because um, things internationally aren't necessarily the way they are in America. And, and people are open to a lot more um, spirituality and, and, and magic and miracles. And, you know, you have witch doctors and shamans and medicine people and all these different things. And so I think from a very early age, my mind was expanded in what was possible inside of the human experience Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I came to America and you know had my son here um, he uh, ended up being diagnosed with a very rare genetic disease he and my mother were actually diagnosed with it on the same day ironically enough continents apart my parents are in Thailand he was here and um, wow. we were told he had this thing called retinitis pigmentosa, specifically a form of it called Usher's syndrome, which affects both your hearing and your eyesight. And we were told that he would be blind and deaf most likely by 18, which is a very heavy sentence to lay on an eight-year-old. Yeah. And, um, and the doctor said it in front of him, which made me want to rip his head off because I don't live in that space where this is just the way it is. And so, um, and they, and they gave that diagnosis because nobody has ever, everybody that's had this has had that experience. They've all gone deaf and blind by that age. Right. Right. And so, um, what they said to us, we saw 15 different specialists. They all said exactly the same thing. We saw a world renowned geneticist, um, who said, you know, there's nothing, you don't understand medicine, Charmaine. This is the only way it's going to go. And um, I hear that echoed a lot. Not to, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I hear that echoed a lot in the medical. And I, I face, I've faced it a little bit just in my own personal experience, but I keep hearing that how medical doctors will have an air of arrogance uh, in their diagnosis, which to some degree is understandable, but uh, yeah, it's, it's sad well, when everybody else in the world has, that's how it's gone, that it's easy to get to the place of that's just how it's going to go. And why would this kid be any different than anybody else who's been diagnosed with a disease? Yes, I can see you that. Know? And if somebody's completely disconnected from any sense of grounded reality, I can see how a doctor might want to say, hey, you need to understand this is, this is the likely op- you know, possibility. But yeah. given your experience and access to spirituality and mysticism so go go ahead with your story let's uh, yeah so um so I I've always had dreams and visions since I was a little girl and they've been very powerful and they've always come true and the day that he was diagnosed with this thing one of the dreams that I had was your son will not go blind at least not completely blind Mm. and so um I, I knew that this was going to be quite a challenge and um that he probably would to all intents and purposes lose a fair amount of his sight before something changed. Again, as a mom, not a great prospect for my kid, right? And so I was really kind of like almost resigned to, okay, well, we're going to have to play it their way um, because I don't know any other way to play it right now. And so I kind of look at life as a game and, um, 
and we get to choose how we play the game and we get to choose if we play the game according to somebody else's rules or if we play the game according to our rules. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I help people do is A, make up their own game and B, uh, play with the rules until they find the rules that work for them and then play the game of life according to those (laughs) rules, not just the rules that somebody else laid out. Mm -hmm. And so I applied this philosophy to that to that um that thing and um we ended up going to a a support group for people with this disease and so my son was eight years old and we go to the support group and it is a room full of no hope devoid of any kind of hope whatsoever every single person in this room is either married to had a child that has this disease um and and Every single person that has the disease in this room is at various stages of sight loss and hearing and or hearing loss, um, you know. And so, um, you know, meanwhile, I'm busy talking to God, the universe, you know, source, whatever it is, you you know, people want to call it. I don't have an attachment to the name, the thing that's bigger than us that that we can tap into that, you know, the power that creates the world. And um, so I'm, you know, tapping into this this source and um, and I'm just like. I will come to this thing if this is what my kid wants to do, but oh, you're going to have to give me so much strength to be able to keep doing this. And so at the end of the meeting, I'm just resigned. We're going to do this. It's going to be fine. I will suck it up. I will be a good mom. I will support my kid. And he comes up to me and he slides his little eight-year-old hand into mine and he says, mommy, can we never come here again? (laughs) I've never been so relieved in my life. <laughs> and then I realized that, oh my gosh, this, this means that we're actually on our own in this game. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what the rules are. I don't know how to play this game. And um, I'm, I'm literally going to have to come up with it as I, you know, as we go along. And so I dived into um, teaching myself everything I could about things like epigenetics. And mm-hmm. um, I worked with Tony Robbins and Chloe Madonez and did their coach training program. And um, gosh, anything and anyone that I came across that either could help me with the mindset piece of helping a child who was losing his sight and his hearing, um, who could help me with my own mindset piece of being powerless to stop this from happening. Um, I kind of dived into that. And then really there, there wasn't very much in the, in the way of medical stuff that was happening around this disease. It's one of these things that's called an orphan disease. And so not a lot of money is put into it. Um, not a lot of time is spent on it because too few people have it, basically. An orphaned and disease? An the, orphan. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a dire... Oh, that's, that's sad to think about. And, um, and there are a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and so um, it, um, it, it just became this quest. It was, became my life's quest to find a cure, to create um, a way for my son to deal with what he was dealing with. Um, and, and I didn't really do any of the work, the, the studying for anything else other than, you know, my son. But along the way, people started to say, Charmaine, you've done all this work, and I think you might be able to help me with the thing I'm dealing with. And lo and behold, I could. So that was kind of fun. Um, this unexpected uh, kind of um, outlay of, of what I was doing. So and, uh, if I, if I could pause you for a second, when you and I briefly spoke about this before, if I remember correctly, um, 
at this point in this timeline, you shared that your son, or I think if I recall, remember correctly, you said that you were, you were going, you wanted to go to in a path of, you don't have this, this isn't an issue. We're going to break that belief. And then you had some kind of a thought that was like, well, let me ask him. Can you remind me? Am I accurate on that? Do I remember that? So, yeah. So what happened was I, I ended up opening a center for well-being, and um, he he was suicidal. He couldn't see. He couldn't hear at this time. He was eighteen. But oh, this and, is a little further down the road, then. Okay. Yeah. So oh. it was a long journey. It was a long, very painful journey. And um, what happened was he being suicidal. Um, I was in this place where I didn't know when I was going to come home and find him dead. And I didn't want him to deal with the pain of that on his own. And we had tried so many different things, but really at the end of the day, if you think about it and you can't see and you can't hear, really what is there to live for? Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's not very many people that lose, you know, those two senses together. Mm-hmm. And so um, in one of my visions, I, I heard you need to tell him that you'll help him commit suicide. And I was like, oh no, oh no, 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 we are not doing this. So this went on for a little while. And eventually I was like, okay, fine, I will do it. And so I went to him, not knowing that this would actually save his life. And I said to him, you know, I'll help you. Let me help you. And he said, oh my gosh, mom, I, t- I totally get it. I get that you don't want to come home and find me, you know, already having done it. Um, and so let me go think about it for a few days. And he went away and he came back and he said, mom, I know that you are somebody who does what they say they're going to do. And so I actually have to make a decision. And I know you didn't do it for that, but that's what's happened. And so the decision I'm making is, I think you're right. I think there is a cure and I'm, I'm willing to do the work to find it. And we'll deal with the other thing later on if we can't. Can I ask and you, so, can I ask you a question? So yeah. first of all, it was my bad. I, I thought this was earlier in the timeline. So we've jumped ahead a little bit into when he was a teenager and he's been struggling. <clears throat> um, so he was, did he communicate to you that he was suicidal? Like you have that kind of relationship The the idea of a mother, um, getting to the point where she'd be willing to assist him is a, is a very provocative idea in and of itself. Um, yeah. and I know that you wrestled with that, but walk us through that a little bit. Like what, what was his state? I mean, clearly he was suicidal, but like, um, give us, bring us into that experience a little bit because that, that to me is it's a bit of a stretch, I think, for some listeners to go, I, I can never do that. Because it's it's important because it's such a catalyst for the growth that happens. And I want to make sure that we get into that a little bit. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, that's funny. I was going to just gloss over that. Um. <laughs> and, and obviously, there's a difficult topic. So if, if you yeah. need to, uh, it's okay. If no, we no, that's fine. And I really get that that might be helpful for some people. You know, somebody said to me the other day, um, you, I know you didn't do it for this, but that was actually a genius manipulation tool, um, you know, for actually having somebody face the consequences of, of this. Because I think what happens a lot of time, and we see a lot of suicidal people at the center, um, is that people don't really think through the consequences of their actions. It, it becomes something and then it happens. And, and, you know, you hear all of these stories of survivors of suicide who go, oh my gosh, I didn't actually want to kill myself. I just didn't think there was any hope. I didn't think there was anyone who could actually help me, who could actually understand. Mm. And so, you know, this was after years of counseling and coaching and 
all these different things and, and just losing more and more of his sight. And he couldn't work. He couldn't leave the house. He couldn't see. He couldn't hear. Um, and it was just an extraordinarily painful time in our, in our lives. And um, I, I don't know that I could actually have done it if, if it had really come down to that, if he had picked that. Um, but one of the things that, um, that I don't talk a lot about, and I, I think I probably need to start talking more about, is um, the power of our intuition. Mm-hmm. And when we are really connected and tapped in to source, um, we have a, a hotline into this depth of awareness and knowledge and understanding that isn't human. Mm-hmm. And in my life, um, I've learned to trust that above everything else. Mm-hmm. And so really my life purpose is to trust that still, small, quiet voice um, that just gets louder and louder if we don't listen to it. Um, and some people, some of us are very good at like blocking it out, but I've learned to become really attuned to it. And so when I first got that message that that was what I needed to do, I was absolutely adamant that there was just no way, absolutely, over my dead body was I going to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, the message just kept coming through and coming through and coming through in this really quiet, powerful way. And it became something that I couldn't ignore. And I had this internal sense that if I did listen and I did go to my son with this that it would actually turn out well but I had to trust there's a story in the Bible about um, Abraham taking Isaac his son up to the mountain and God had given them this miracle of this child him and Sarah and and then God said take your son up to the mountain and sacrifice him and Abraham was like what why would I do that like no And then he did it anyway. And when they got to the top of the mountain, this lamb appeared and and an angel appeared and said, you know, Abraham sacrificed this lamb instead. But I think the the point was, do you trust me now? And a lot of the work that I do with people is in getting to this place of, of trusting that there's something bigger than us, trusting that we can trust that there's something bigger than us and that something bigger than us has our best interests at heart. And if there was ever a moment to be fully connected to that, this moment of going to my son and saying, I will help you kill yourself. If that's what you really, really, really want to do, it's not what I want, Mm -hmm. but if that's what you really want, I'll find a way. It's, um, that's such a humble place to be, uh, because as a mother, it, it I'm sure fights every, <laughs> every instinct that you have to protect your children mm-hmm. and, um, to go to a place where you're trusting in that higher power and having a faith greater in that than your deepest human instinct, motherly instinct requires a lot of humility. It's amazing. Yeah. But it helps me now with my clients because I can say that, 
you know, I've seen miracles happen with my own eyes, of course, vision, right? Um, and I trust that if, if you're looking for a miracle, you will find one. Mm-hmm. And so I can stand in that miracles are possible, that I can, I can have the faith for people until they can pick it up for themselves. And that's really at the end of the day, what happened with my son. It's like, you know, I had another dream. So he he comes back and he says, mom, no, let's, let's do it your way. Let's, let's, um, let's find a cure. And, what, um, was he resisting that before? Is he resisting your way? Yeah, he's, he, you know, he really had bought into what the doctors had said, all these different specialists. And I, I mean, I don't blame him. I mean, you know, we saw like 15 of them. Um, and every single one of them was like, Charmaine, you don't understand medicine. You don't understand how this works. And, you know, now I'm like, well, I'm really happy I don't understand medicine. Um, I do understand humans. That's your advantage. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and I do know that where there's a will, there's a way, you know, I come from good, solid Scottish stock where, uh, <laughs> you know, we had to be really stubborn, right? <laughs> and so that's definitely, um, I've been able to use that to my advantage and mm-hmm. to other people's advantage too. And so I, I ended up, so once he had agreed to that, um, I started having new dreams. And in these dreams, I was told to open a center for well-being. Well, the interesting thing is I had no medical background whatsoever. I actually had an interior design business. And so um, like, really, me? Why me? But again, this is the story of so many people throughout history. No, not me. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then suddenly just extraordinary things come out of that. Mm. And so I um, I said, okay, well, great. You want me to open a center for well-being? Provide the money because I don't have it. <laughs> and lo and behold, $350,000 shows up, enough to buy machines and open a center. And uh, and I thought, you know, we're just going to do it locally near my house in Kensington in San Diego. And, and uh, no, the dream was very clear. You're going to do it in La Jolla, California. And so, um, if you're going to do it, do it, do it right. Do it, do it right by the ocean, of course. Exactly, exactly. So it's you know it's in this beautiful little 1950s style uh, building. It looks like a house. I was very adamant if if I was going to do this, it needed to be like a home. It needed to be a place where people people could come and feel welcome and at home and just relax into faith. Mm-hmm. And so um, I made this 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 place and. Um, people started coming and having extraordinary experiences, and um, my son um, did all did all the sessions. And honestly, I didn't think it was going to happen so quickly. Uh, about three months after I'd opened, he um, he finished a session, and he he said to me, "You know, Mom, I know the secret to life and the universe and everything." Mm. And I laughed. He was 19. I said, you are, you do not. You're you're the first 19 year old to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, no. (laughs) And he said, no, really, mom, I do. I do. And I said, okay, fine. I'll bite. You know, tell me the secret to life in the universe and everything. (laughs) And he said, well, mom, it's really simple. It's connection to God and love. Mm. And, you know, I was like, oh, Oh, you're really you're absolutely right. From my perspective, yes, that is the secret to life in the universe and everything. And how did how did he come well, to that? How did he come to that conclusion? Does he know? Um, so one of the things that I was told that was missing in my repertoire of um, training was the ability to have someone deeply relax, meditation or mm-hmm. um, or deep relaxation. And and I think one of the things that that I see that people 
all of us really, um, especially right now, you know, being at home, being on Zoom all the time, um, is this space of deep relaxation away from technology. You know, deep relaxation is not sitting watching a show on Netflix. It's not laying in bed on your phone. It's actually letting your mind, your body, your spirit relax. And so we provide a space that people can come and relax. And so, you know, it's really interesting because People come to us knowing that they're buying transformation, right? Um, but they come with, you know, physical ailments or or spiritual things that they're dealing with or emotional things that they're dealing with. And they leave with this connection to source and connection to themselves mm-hmm. that results in, oh my gosh, everything from, from self-healing, like my son did, to, to more confidence, to joy, peace of mind, um, all these different benefits that I never would have imagined that people would have received. Um, And so really what I look at is, is, you know, it's the healing power of deep relaxation Mm -hmm. that we're all so lacking, especially right now. Yes. And especially in the Western world. Yeah. Uh, So how interesting is that to go back to the beginning of your, your, story here of how you've had this, um, global experience living all over the place. And you're like, the one place I don't want to be was maybe the one places that you needed to be to bring this energy, this perspective, this clarity, uh, and just drop it right in the middle of it and expand that from there. Um, so you talk about relaxation for somebody who's in a place right now where, uh, obviously with, uh, there's a lot of tension right now, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of um, fear over what's happening in the world with the economy, with this, um, pandemic or this non-pandemic, depending on who you ask. Um, how do you help somebody relax? What do you do? What's the process? So, uh, for a start, when they walk in the, the front door, th- there is immediately this sense of peace and relaxation. It's almost like you're stepping out of the world. Mm. Um, and people notice that. They'll literally stop at the front door and go, oh, my gosh, this place is amazing. I just want to stay here. And they do. So even after sessions, people will just like hang around or pre-pandemic, they they would pop in for a cup of tea just to be in this space that feels so good. And little did I know how valuable my interior design background would be in creating a space that has people immediately off the bat feel relaxed. That's such a little caveat to this whole thing, but that I get excited about that because there's a lot of people who have these skills in their back pocket and they're like, you know, I really, I love to do design or I love to do this, but I'm working at this other job and like, they just don't mix. They don't go together. And, and yet it probably has been a big ingredient and character in the wellness that you're providing. So uh, that's, I love that. That's very cool. Yeah. In, in, um, you know, I, I love to create beauty all around me. And so being able to have this this gift of creating spaces that feel welcoming and um, and put people at ease, um, you know, I I get to bring out the beauty in people Mm. when especially when they don't necessarily see it for themselves. I, you know, I, I grew up with parents that were always like, make sure you leave places better than you found them. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I have it that I get to leave people better than I found them. Mm. 
And so if I haven't done that yet, then I haven't done my job. (laughs) (laughs) Do you work primarily that's, there's, there's a beautiful feminine strength in that. Do you work primarily with women or, or do you work with anybody or? So shockingly, um, um, just FYI for your readers, this might be a little triggering for people. Um, I, my first sexual experience was a date rape and, um, I had to do a ton of work around that. Um, and, you know, it's not unusual um, as women. And and I, I thought that it was about sex, but actually rape has nothing to do with sex. It's all about power. And so one of the the biggest things that we we work with at the center is helping people regain access to their own internal power. And so one of our, our secret, well, I guess not so secret now missions uh, at the center is that is to become um, a, a global wellness uh, group where we get to eradicate rape and domestic violence, not by having a war on uh, rape and domestic violence, because I, I think that we've seen that wars on things just don't actually solve the problem. And so um, I'm, I'm about being, you know, work smarter, not harder. So if my theory is this, if we connect people to their own power, number one, then the people who perpetuate rape and domestic violence don't have to get power from somewhere else, which is really what these things are about. And the people who normally would be victims to that are solid in their own power. And so they leave situations where that's the case, um, or they're not available for that to to happen. And that's very controversial. Um, But having been in that situation, I know that if I had been more connected to my own power and not needed uh, and not listened, you know, we have all of these familial and ancestral beliefs about things that are not necessarily the truth, but we live in them as if they are the truth. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up very much in a male dominated environment where, um, you know, the, the inference, if not the explicit words were that men have all the power. And as a woman, your job is to be subservient and do what the man wants you to do. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, how I got myself into that situation was not listening to that small, quiet voice of intuition that says, don't go there. <laughs> um, and it, going so there it was anyway. present. That, Sorry? that voice, that voice was present. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. And I, the, the, um, the cultural conditioning overrode that instinctive internal voice and I didn't listen to it. Mm. Um, and I know any time in my life when I haven't listened to that voice, um, it has not gone well. And when I have, even when it seems completely outrageous, like tell your kid you'll help him kill himself, um, it's always turned out well. And I think I had enough instances before that moment to know that I could trust that it would turn out well and it wouldn't turn out well if I didn't listen. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is how Source works with us, um, is, is developing that trust. And so now I can stand in trust. And when someone comes in, whether they're dealing with stress or anxiety or something bigger than that, um, and, you know, we know that stress and anxiety leads to bigger things. So it's always good to catch it earlier. So come in when you're stressed and anxious, not when you're actually manifesting something physically, um, 
you know, I can, I listen to that and I can listen to it for you until you can pick it up for yourself. And really that's what happened in the moment when my son said, I know the secret to life in the universe and everything, because what I said to him then was, what are you going to do now? And he said, well, duh, mom, I'm going to heal my eyes. Mm. And in that moment, the baton was passed I had been carrying it, that faith and hope and trust, and I passed it to him. He picked it up and ran with it. And, and that's where I suddenly went, oh, my gosh, what have I done? I have let my kid think that miracles are possible. What? What if I'm wrong? Mm -hmm. Like the consequences of me being wrong about this are not good. Mm -hmm. And so the next morning he woke up and he said, Mom, I can, I can see more. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's delusional now. This is <laughs> this is a nightmare. <laughs> for what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And so every day for the next two weeks, he he said to me every morning, he said, "Mom, I can see more today." And I just thought, oh my gosh, he's he's. What am I going to do? This is terrible. And uh, fortunately, two weeks later he had his annual eye checkup. And so he, he, I, I, I couldn't go. I was too, um, I was too in my own, I think bullshit is probably yeah. the, the best way to put it. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, to, to, to be able to go. And so I put him in an Uber, sent him off to the doctor's office. And about an hour later, I got a phone call from the doctor who, who, you know, didn't introduce himself. All he said was, what are you doing? <laughs> And I felt like I was outside the headmaster's office, like I'd done something yeah. terrible. <laughs> and he said, well, no, 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 let me just tell you what you're doing. You are doing the impossible. And then he asked how I was doing it. And I couldn't for the life of me tell him. Like I, you know, I look at people a lot um, regarding uh, trauma responses, um, you know, fight, flight, freeze, um, and mine, my primary one is to freeze. And so literally what happens in that moment of freezing, and I'm sure that there are people who are, who are listening or watching that can identify with this, is that when you freeze, your mind is just blank. There's nothing there. Mm -hmm. It's as if you are a deer in headlights. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's exactly what happened in this moment. Um, I, I couldn't have told you what I did for anything. And so all I could get out was ask Joseph what, what we're doing. And so one of the, the things that. that we use at the center is, um, is a relaxation chamber, which is sound, light, and heat, and it produces a frequency uh, that's kind of an optimal frequency for your body. And so you, you lay in it for an hour. It's deeply relaxing. It's delicious. Um, we have two of these machines. Their names are Harmony and Protector. And, um, and so um, he said, he said to this doctor, he said, well, she puts me in a box and she plays with my brain. <laughs> and then there was silence. <laughs> and the doctor said, I can't, I can't tell my parent, my patients that. And it didn't even occur to me that he would. But <laughs> he, what he then said was, you need to get down here because we have scientific proof. We have retinal scans that show that, that the rods and cones in his eyes that were dead last year are now alive. And mm. that is impossible. Mm. So, you know, we do the impossible. <laughs> you say it so cheerfully. Uh, I find it ironic that you were so outside the box that you got in a box. <laughs> yes. It's, um, 
I, I can imagine that that would be uh, a little uh, upsetting for a doctor who has scientific evidence otherwise. And yet here we are living in this other realm of possibility. What do you think is actually happening? I, I believe that there is science that explains the miracle. Do you have, do you have a sense of any scientific backing of what actually did occur? So, I mean, I, I think since the beginning of time, we've known that music soothes the soul, right? Um, we, you know, all cultures have a, a musical influence. And so we use music, um, you know, on purpose to induce a state of relaxation. And we all, um, part of what happens as well is that the nervous system gets balanced. We have a, a double board certified um, uh, surgeon and plastic surgeon who um, comes to, to the center on a regular basis because uh, she says that what we do has a basis in quantum physics. And yes. I know that some people kind of put quantum physics aside and other people are really, really into it. Um, but what I found is that every single person that comes to the center that has some kind of a background in Chinese medicine or Western medicine or quantum physics or something, they all have their own idea of how this works. Um, and, you know, frankly, I don't care. Yeah. It, I know it works. I know that when we relax the nervous system, when we relax the body, magic and miracles happen. Mm. And I think... I have no idea, but I think how it works is that when the nervous system is relaxed, the body has the space almost to begin the process of healing itself. If you think about it, for most of us, unless you have some kind of a disease that prevents your blood from clotting, um, for most of us, when we get a cut, um, we, we literally can watch it heal itself, right? We know that the body is set up to be able to heal itself. But because we're not relaxed, because uh, we're, we're moving so fast all the time, there just isn't the space and the time for the body to get deeply relaxed enough for it to heal itself. You know, oftentimes we'll say, if you're sick, go to bed, drink chicken soup and go to bed, right? Um, it may be an old wives tale, but it's really effective. Well, why is that? Because we're resting and we're giving the body the nutrients that it needs but so much you know we're amping ourselves up on coffee we're you know then having wine and we, it, I mean we're just taking our body in so many different directions I think almost that we don't really know it doesn't it doesn't know what to do with itself and so I'm curious to hear your take on how you well think uh, so works. I've had a few experiences recently of attending a Joe Dispenza event yeah um, have you gotten into his world at all? I haven't. He's he. It's fascinating. Um, and he'll. I encourage you to to look into it because he. I think he at the very least he he presents a very plausible um, step by. He'll walk you through it and you go. That just makes a ton of sense. Like I, I I'm not a scientist. I'm not a you know neurologist. Whatever. But like everything he's saying makes sense. I could see how that that could work. And he has you know, brain scans and scientific data to show before and after. So like, like your doctor with your son, it was like, here's the scientific, something changed, something happened. There is a, a, a change in the manifestation of this molecular being in front of me. What the heck happened in between? And, and I, I totally respect and understand the, like, we don't necessarily need to know uh, people of faith. The, the healing has occurred. So 
we don't have to necessarily um, describe it, but my mind is also like, yeah, but it's kind of cool. Like, let's get in, let's figure it out. And so the events that I went to with, with Joe Dispenza, there was a reason to bring you, what he does is he'll bring you into a theta state. So you, your mind, for those that don't know, have various, you know, if you, if you look at your brain, it emits uh, electrical ma- ma- uh, electromagnetic energy, if I understand this correctly. Mm-hmm. And there's frequencies, and you can you can hear, or I'm sorry, you can see that there is a beta wave, an alpha wave, and then there's a theta wave. Theta is when you're just about to fall asleep or just waking up. Another way of saying theta is you're very relaxed. And what he does is he'll put you in that state and it turns off the alpha and beta wave, which is you and I are in beta right now having this conversation. We're conscious. And and this to me is so ironic as human beings, we think that beta is like the highest level because we're most alert, we're most clear, we're most conscious. And yet to access a deeper, higher possibly some might say a divine frequency, you have to turn off the interference of the beta wave to access higher, clearer thought. That's still small voice that you were talking about. That doesn't come when you and I are in this state and we're talking about things to do and uh, the, you know, I got to run to the store and pick up this and got to get this done. It, that is a uh, interference to higher frequency. So when you relax that and you turn that off, Joe, Dr. Joe will say, um, re- where you quiet the body so the mind can awake. And yeah. you're, you're, you're quieting the body of which your human brain has a lot of anxiety and, and depression. And, and, and when you quiet that part, it gives the real mind, the spiritual mind, access to this source. Yeah. So I, there's... I didn't explain it on a scientific level, but at least conceptually, that's my understanding so far. And he'll go into actual, you know, your your mind is neuroplastic and you actually are creating new thoughts. We know scientifically that that stress and, and negative thoughts have a negative effect on the body. We know that there are yeah. heart conditions that are related to stress. So, eye conditions that are related to stress. And yeah, tons of conditions related to stress scientifically. So yeah. are we not to then think that if we had different thoughts that we would have the opposite of stress, joy, relief, relaxation, et cetera? And that was really my whole philosophy behind starting the center. It's like if I can get people relaxed enough to contemplate a different option than the than the so-called you know reality that they're faced with right now i wonder what's possible and i wonder if well i mean at, at the very least my kids going to be relaxed and if you're relaxed well you're probably not contemplating suicide yes so if I can stave off the suicide thing long enough for a cure to show up, mm. then maybe just maybe we'll be good. Mm. <laughs> Little di- and, and, you know, what I kept hearing in this still small voice was you have the cure. You have it. And it was like, so for me, what I've got out of all of this is a sense of I grew up not thinking I was very valuable. I was sent to boarding school when I was nine years old, uh, the other side of the world from where my parents lived. I was sent to boarding school in England. And, um, and I, I really was left with a sense that I'm not very important and I'm not very valuable and I don't really matter. So it's not really shocking that someone with that outlook on life ends up getting herself raped, mm-hmm. ends up, you know, in, in all kinds of situations that, that um, would 
exacerbate that feeling of not being valuable and not being not being worth very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be in this place now where, um, you know, people come to my center all the time and they have extraordinarily miraculous experiences um, by being surrounded by love and caring and compassion and and this this space of relaxation. We had a, a lady who came in who had been diagnosed with um, uh, cancer, a very fast-moving cancer, and they wanted to cut off half of her leg, the back of her leg. And she came in and she said, uh, you know, in six weeks I have surgery and they're going to cut off my leg. And she said, I know that I can come here and I can heal it in the next six weeks. And I said to her, you know, um, we don't promise any healing here. We provide a place for the miraculous, but your work is the work of doing the miraculous. Mm -hmm. And there's a number of components to that. And so I I will hold that with you, whatever it is you want, I will hold it with you. I will, I will literally be in the ring with you kind of like, I imagine a a boxer in in the ring, right? And, and he's got his, his person who mops his brow and puts tape on his face when it gets cut, you know, Mm -hmm. all the rest of it. Um, I'm that person. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not the boxer in the ring, but I'll be right there there with you but it's your fight to fight I cannot fight your fight for you mm-hmm. and so um you know it was the same with my son I could hold the space for his healing I could I could provide the environment for his healing but I couldn't heal him he did that 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 to me was the big the greater blessing that you didn't know at the time as a mother your instinct is I need to protect my son why the hell would I encourage him or support him in suicide? It was to give him the option. It was to give him full ownership. And had you not done that, perhaps he would have continued to resist. And perhaps there are people right now who are dealing with suicidal thoughts and you're really wanting to have somebody to save you. Um, And how empowering it is to realize everything that you need is within you right now. Yeah. And, and I think the thing is that we don't necessarily know how to access it. And that's the problem. It's like you can know that it's inside you, but if you're in that place of, of wanting to die, yeah, like it, it doesn't, there's no connection to that. Correct. It's too right? far. And so to have somebody, you know, and, and when we do have someone that comes into the center who is suicidal, I'm very clear, you know, I am not a therapist, um, but And so, you know, really what I'm left with is if you are actually suicidal, then we need to get you to a hospital right now where they can help you. That's not my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. But if you are suicidal because you're looking for someone to help you and you actually really want help, I'm calling your bluff. Like, what do you actually want Do you want the help? Do you want the healing? Or do you want to kill yourself? Because my guess is if you're sitting in my office, then you actually want help. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go ahead and do this thing, then we either you drive yourself to the hospital or we order you an ambulance. But you can't come to my center if you're actually suicidal. Mm -hmm. I can't help you. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking for help, I can And the way that I will help you is I will put you in a box that will help you relax and I will listen to you and I will hold space for you and I will believe in you and I will believe in a miracle. And I think that's what's really missing, especially today where, you know, so many things are, of course, is everything are online. 
Um, and so to have an environment where, no, I'm here mm. and I will listen to you and I will hold the space for you that is a space of healing. It's extraordinary to me how few sessions it takes to move from being suicidal to actually having this new purpose and new hope mm. um, just because somebody stood for you. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's a there's a strength that just came out of you when you were explaining that that's that I picked up that like, cause these are not, some might say, Oh, La Jolla, California miracles, you know, play with your brain or whatever. It's like, that sounds very, um, you know, airy fairy for some people, but, but you're talking about real issues with real strength, real courage, no bullshit. Like this isn't, you're talking about something very, very real and very, very profound, I think. Um, yeah. it, and that requires a backbone, metaphorically speaking, uh, to to weather that storm. This isn't yeah. to be taken lightly. Yeah. And I think I grew that, right? I, I grew that in um, experiencing, you know, people come to the center and they say, well, Charmaine, you can't possibly understand my, my experience. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, try me. <laughs> <laughs> There's really not a lot I haven't experienced. So, you know, to, I look back now and, and in the, in the world of a, of a grand plan, um, I have experienced rape and domestic violence. I have, you know, had a, a son with an incurable disease. I, I, you know, was, essentially to all intents and purposes abandoned at, at, at the age of nine. Um, my parents are still alive. They're amazing. I love them. They live in Thailand, but they, you know, they did deposit me at a boarding school in Thailand, in, in England and, and leave me there um, much to my nine-year-old chagrin. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, there I've, I've been um, on food stamps and I've been, you know, in, in many, many experiences, I've been suicidal. There was a moment, actually, um, and this is really where um, I, I picked up this mission, this bigger mission of eradicating rape and domestic violence. Um, my son was about six months old, and I was in a, a very um, violent uh, domestic situation. And um, I sat in the middle of my kitchen floor, and I and I wanted to die. And I decided how I was going to do it. Mm. And just as I had got to that place of going, okay. I'm done. I can't, I can't live this life anymore. My son cried from the other room. And um, it was this wake up moment that was like, oh my gosh, what, what, what am I doing? Um, and the thought that came through my mind wasn't, oh my gosh, I have to stay alive for my son. It was, if I do this, I will be fine but then my son will be raised by his father who is violent and he will learn to be violent himself. And then I will be responsible for another woman having experienced this and that I cannot live with. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, it was kind of, this thing was born in me of, of making a difference on a global level and, you know, it's only now that I, I have the center and we do these extraordinary things with people um, that I can see that, oh, Eighth Harmony, which is the name of the center, Eighth Harmony is the vehicle. And 
and I don't know how that manifests yet, but essentially that's not my problem because any other time I've not known how something's going to go, this small quiet voice tells me exactly what I need to know when I need to know it. Mm -hmm. So I know that the perfect people, the perfect things are all being put in place right now to make this difference that I know that I'm here to make in my soul. That's beautiful. What, uh, what does eighth harmony mean? So uh, I'm, a, I'm a Libra, so I'm all about harmony and balance. Ironically enough, that's exactly what we do for people. Um, and the eighth is, so we, we most of us know, I think, about the seven chakras or, or energy la- uh, bands in the body. Um, and Western medicine, interestingly enough, actually recognizes that if one of these uh, energy bands is lower than others, it is a precursor to disease. Yes. And so um, this is this is amazing to me, this this kind of coming together of Eastern and Western uh, medicine. And we actually have machines at the center that will measure um, your chakras or your energy levels. They'll also we, we can also measure your um, your the alpha the brain states, um, alpha, beta, theta. What is it? What is it measuring exactly? So it uh, it measures 300 heartbeats. It's, it's um, called a, a, an HRV machine. And um, it measures uh, 21 different things and puts them all together. And, and it can tell you everything from your chakras to your, uh, to your um, biological versus your chronological age, which is really fun. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it's so, absolutely fascinating. Really quick. So um, Dr. Dispenza shared a story of how uh, many women were in, uh, had cancer and they, uh, I believe it was, what, what is it? HRV? They, they measured uh, them through this this device and found that they all had a certain um, energy output or whatever it was. And of course, not of course, but like maybe of course, the, the, the science at the time or the medical um, perspective of it at the time was, oh, cancer produces this field, this energy field. And what they found was they, they started to measure women pre and they found the field first and then they got the cancer. It was like yeah. the energy came first and then the doctor spends often will say wave first, then particle. And we're so used to thinking uh, in our human earthly, you know, world perspective, that the particle first, and then it creates energy. It's like, no, 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 it's the energy first. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's one of the biggest pieces of what we do at the center is we look at what's going on emotionally. And um, I don't know if you've read much about Louise Hay, but she has a, a book um, kind of looking at your emotions as related to your, uh, your, the experiences that you're having physically in your body. Yes. So, you know, a headache has a, an emotional, um, you know, frequency or- yeah. And so um, it's one of the, of the first things that I pull out, it's called heal your body. And uh, it's literally a chart of all of the different physical yes. experiences. Someone had and that then, book. Someone referred that, um, shared that book with me at the event. So sorry, go ahead. Oh, they, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, kind of, it's one of our key things at, at the center. It's the first thing I look at when somebody comes in with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and often what I've found with clients that come in with cancer is that there's a lot of unresolved anger and so, you know, as well as the relaxation, as well as the, um, the uh, emotional work, we, we do a lot of forgiveness. Um, and so I have all kinds of tools from the 13 years that I spent looking for something that might help my kid. I learned all these different tools um, from the Sedona method to working, you know, the, the six human needs with Tony Robbins and mm-hmm. um, gosh, everything all, from tapping to 
Oh my gosh, so many different things. Exactly. And they're all so powerful. And when you use them in conjunction um, with the relaxation, with the coaching, um, it, it creates this kind of vortex, if you like, of incredible healing. Um, the, the, um, the differential, it seems, is time. And so, you know, my son came in three months later. Oh, I don't think we finished that story. He could see. So he could actually see. And um, we, so, I mean, it was, it was incredible. He's the first person in the history of this disease to be reversing it. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable, except not really. Except exactly it was imaginable. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we have people that come in with cancer. We have people that come in with stress. I have people that drive down from L.A., to be at my center for less time than it took them to drive there. And when I ask them why they come, and there's, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not, they have no physical ailments. They have nothing, right? Um, um, but when I ask them why they come, they say, you know, Charmaine, there are so many demands on my time. My phone is on 24 hours a day. And when I come here, you take my phone away from me. <laughs> you take my clothes because you go into this chamber with no clothes on. If you want to, you can go with clothes if you do. But, um, and, and so you put me in a box for an hour. You play with my brain. You, you help me identify what's going on emotionally. And you sit and you listen to me and you give me a cup of tea. Because, of course, there's tea. I'm British. <laughs> and, um, and they say, you know, that's, that's absolutely worth the time and energy because... I don't have that anywhere else in my life. No one makes me tea. So. It's so sad. I, we're, we're, we're such in a rush to get somewhere. And it's like, where are we going? Why don't you just slow down for a second, yeah. turn your brain off, and maybe you're yeah. already there. Yes, come to Eighth Harmony. We help you do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, shoot, you just said, you said something a minute ago that I wanted to follow up on. And it's slipping my mind in a second. But, um, oh, uh, when you say play with their brain. I mean, obviously that's, the, that's the quick overview, but like, can you yeah. give a, are you talking about just asking these questions and. So, well, so kind of back to the beginning where I was talking about playing the game of life. Most people are not playing their own game. They're playing a cultural game. They're playing a societal game. I mean, you know, they're playing a familial game, whatever game they're playing, it's not theirs. And so if you, if you start to break it down and you start to look at what do you actually want that's a huge question for people. Yeah. Most people have absolutely no idea. No idea. They're just going along with some narrative that they picked up that they think yep. they're supposed to have. Yep. And so we look at, well, what's the game you want to play? What do you actually want? Why don't you have what you want? What are the beliefs and, and, um, and, and narratives that are in the way of you having what it is you say you want? Well, let's move those out of the way. Let's pick one or more of these tools, whether it's, you know, radical forgiveness or tapping or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, let's pick one of these tools in conjunction with this deep relaxation. And the beauty of deep relaxation is it's kind of it's kind of forced relaxation or forced meditation. Mm. Um, most people don't know how to meditate because there isn't the space or time for meditation. <laughs> you know, most of us don't have three hours to go and sit in the woods and right. be by ourselves or right efficient and be by ourselves um and so this is like this hour of like deep relaxation 
that we then can follow up with coaching if somebody wants that. Some, some people are already working with a therapist or something like that, and then they can just come in for the relaxation. That's totally fine. Or if they choose to work with me as well, then we, we go into this and we look at what they want. Why don't they have it? You know, what's in the way? Um, moving that out of the way and then creating an action plan. So the, the simple steps to an action plan that are inspired actions that come from that still small voice because you've been quiet enough to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then you can take those actions inside of a container that's holding you accountable, but they're not the I should actions. They're the, oh, yes, I really want to. This Mm. feels really good. And so a lot of people will talk about, you know, coming to the center and then taking care of things that they haven't taken care of for years and years and years. Whether it's something in the gardens. One man came in and he said, you don't understand. I, I like cleaned out my backyard. I've been wanting to do that for five years. And I just went home and did it. Yeah. And so all the way, you know, to uh, changing, you know, leaving uh, work situations. I had one client come in and she said, she said, I'm, I'm going to go and quit my job now. And I was like, whoa, 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 slow down. <laughs> Let's talk about this for a second. And she said, oh, no, it's totally fine. I'm going to go quit my job and I'll have another one tomorrow. And she did. She had a dream job the next day. That's amazing. So it really is just this space of like, you can have whatever you want. Let me help you get it. How do you, how do you market that? Great question. I know at some point you're probably going to give people my website and we're actually in the middle of redoing our website because I, I, I'm I'm not sure if you have any ideas, I'd love to hear them. Well, so I, I mean, I work with people in this space, myself included, where it's like, you know, I was, I just got off the phone with a, with an accountability partner earlier today and He's like, Peter, you know, I, I can help people stop smoking. I can help people lose weight, but those are confined to those, those lanes. He's like the stuff that I want to do, the stuff that I can really help people with goes beyond that. Cause we're dealing with the limiting belief that help that gets in the way of whatever it is that somebody wants. So it's very difficult to quantify and pinpoint and position. Like this is what I do because you, what do you do? Charmaine? Uh, I only help people with. Miracles. I help people win. Help people win. Help people win. I help people win. You, you have a very. I like the gaming metaphor. Who doesn't want to play a game? Like who doesn't? I want know. To, and you get to create the rules. You get to play. You get to create the game. Um, and here's the beautiful thing about making up your own game. Yeah. Is if you start playing and you've developed some rules and you realize you don't like the rules, you can change the <laughs> rules. <laughs> I just got back from a weekend with another mentor friend of mine and who's helping me get into the whole financial market world, which I've resisted for a long time because I told myself that it's too complex and competitive and bullshitty and uh, all that. And in eight, we did, we had an 18 hour day on set this last Saturday and it blew my mind. And one of the, the, like literally the first thing that we talked about is what rules do we want to play by? What, and, and, that that question alone is is an interesting question. But so we said we we want it to be simple. We want it to be um, relatively hands off. I don't want to have to like stare at five screens all day. I fucking hate that. Uh, we want it to be effective, and we want it to be um, easy, 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 <laughs> easy, and fun. Yes. Like, why wouldn't you? Who wouldn't want that? And but yeah. how do you know that you can't have that if you don't ask that and put those parameters in the first place? Yeah. 
Well, and and this is another thing that people come to the center for is because, you know, when you have cancer or you have something like this, it's very serious, right? And so go to the hospital, it's very serious. People around you, your friends, your family, it's very serious. And they come to the center. I'm like, great. Did you talk to the cancer today? What did it say? And... (laughs) It's like we have fun dealing with the serious things of life. I do yes. not take myself seriously. Yes. But I do take what you're dealing with very seriously and I bring fun to it. Yes. I, I, it's like, don't get serious, get curious. Yes. Like, all right, you're, you're bumping up against this seemingly uh, insurmountable obstacle. Get curious. People have gone through it before. People have gotten around it, beyond it. Get curious. How have they done it? Open your heart up. I, the, the thing with cancer, my mom passed. Um, we, we never got like a, an actual medical diagnosis. I don't believe. I don't, not that I'm aware of. Part of our faith is, is through metaphysical healing. And she, it's my understanding that she died of breast cancer, so-called. I really think of it as like a failure of imagination. And I also know through some of the the very um, intimate conversations that we had before she passed um, that there was some challenges still there of self-love. And, and I, I just kind of a couple of things came to me in those moments um, where it's like a, she was such a giver of love Mm -hmm. an outpouring of energetic love outgoing, but the receiving side, there was a kink in it. And it was like, wouldn't that create dis-ease in your body if the outflow was so high, but the inflow, it couldn't go both ways. That creates disorganization, dis-ease on a molecular level, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I often say that to, well, this is fairly public, but in intimate conversations, I feel an intimate connection with you. It's like, I feel like she really passed due to a, a failure of imagination. Mm. And I love, uh, I love the idea of getting curious. Like there yeah. is another way it's yeah. possible. Yeah. And, and I would say you can probably still ask her. Uh, yes. Yes. Well, my, my siblings have had dreams with, um, with seeming interactions with her. I, I have not yet. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm open to that if it need, if that needs to occur, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's hard. I think sometimes, uh, to like, in some respects, we are these containers, um, and we're able to fill ourselves up with this content, this information, this wisdom. And if we, if sometimes more wisdom comes than we're able to, or wanting to receive. And so it spills over and we can't really hang on to it. The get curious part of it is like, how do we expand the capacity to take in new information, maybe information that is provocative or unconventional or seemingly impossible. Uh, and yet here you are a living, walking, breathing, seeing, hearing uh, demonstration of that. And, and Well, I think in, in answer to your, your question there, how do we do that? One of the things we haven't talked about that is a pretty big piece of the puzzle at the center is, is breath work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially as a woman, and, and I think it's fairly true for men too, we we tend to breathe very shallow breaths. And so most of our energy ends up being in our head and our, our kind of upper body here. Mm-hmm. And 
we're we're meant to live in the whole of this you know some people call it a meat suit or you know this this physical body that we have yes. right um you know the, the old adage that we're we're spiritual beings having a, a human experience yes. and and so I think sometimes that human experience can can be a bit overwhelming. And so there is this tendency to keep the energy up here and not allow the energy to come down into the body. And so one of the biggest things that we do is is have people breathe. And, and usually at first they're like, oh, champagne, come on, I breathe. I know how to breathe. I'm like, yeah, actually you don't. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. babies do. We, we're trained out of breathing. Yes. And so, you know, it, and, and just as a super, super quick exercise for anybody that's watching that doesn't know how to do this, if you, when you breathe, just initially just notice where is the breath going? It's probably not going much further than your upper chest. Mm -hmm. But if you actually close your eyes, and so we can just do this for a second and just yep. close our eyes and take a breath and almost pull that breath down into the belly, allowing the belly to expand as you breathe in and then holding the breath there. And then as you breathe out, allowing the belly to move in and towards the spine. And so what we found, and this was an exercise that I learned a long time ago that I used with my son because he would get so angry and upset, you know, every day as he's like experiencing losing more and more sight and to try and support him in dealing with that anger, um, we, we would do these breaths. And what we discovered was in about three to five deep breaths like that, you can actually change your physiology mm. and the anger will dissipate. And so, especially when someone first comes to the center um, and they use the technology that we that we have there, um, there's this sense of, oh my gosh, this is a magic box. You know, what's going to happen to me in here? La, 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 la. What do the lights do? What do the heat do? You know, what does it all do? Um, I encourage people to take these long, slow, deep breaths that kind of presents you to being here and now. And not worrying so much because worry comes from in your head. Um, and I remember um, hearing something that, that said that, you know, worry is praying for something that you don't want. Really profound, I thought. And so when you come out of your head, when you bring the energy out of your head into your body, you're not worrying. You are much more present. And it's almost as if the worries go away. And so it then allows the, the deep relaxation to work even more profoundly mm. um, and becomes a, a habit for life. So, you know, before I came on this call, I was nervous. And so I just took some deep breaths and kind of brought myself back into my body and was like, this is a conversation. We just it's get to have fun. Fun. Have, get to have fun with this. Absolutely. This has been incredibly fun and uh, you're doing such incredible work and, uh, I love the entire premise is that, that your work is to show other people that they can do it themselves too. Um, how beautifully empowering that is. Um, Charmaine, where can people go to find out more about Eighth Harmony and you and all the mir miracles that they have available to them? Um, they can find us uh, on the web. They can find us at um, Eighth Harmony, the number eight, and then a TH, and then harmony.org, O-R-G. Um, and then we're also uh, just starting our Instagram. And so Instagram, we're at the number eight and then TH. So eighth underscore harmony um, with the at sign beforehand. Perfect. And then they can always call us. Um, um, the number for the center is 858 880 
0668. And most likely when you call that number, you'll get me. An oh. even added bonus. Get to hear the, the British accent right away. <laughs> just, the, just, the, just the accent alone for me is very calming. It's very it's like, good. Uh, <laughs> um, well, Charmaine, this has been an awesome conversation. I would love to uh, keep the relationship going, keep the conversation going. Uh, maybe at some point even visit and, and see what you're doing there. Because I, I, I do think that we are... I, I believe that we are on a uh, the precipice of another spiritual awakening, and uh, it, it's neat to see the foundations being laid and the the seeds being laid because uh, I think the world is going to be needing more and more of this sooner than later. So um, yeah. it's awesome work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Wait, wait, wait! Before you go, so Charmaine and I actually kept talking after we thought we were done with the recorded part of our conversation. And I found that she was sharing some really important and more profound information. And I said, Hey, we need to have this, uh, on the recorded part of the call too. So we switched back into her sharing some other content. So we're going to get into that right here. Uh, We're starting up mid conversation where she wanted to complete the story of her friend and uh, patient client at eighth harmony who had cancer. So we're going to pick it up from there. Here we go. You know, I, I didn't finish the story about that, the woman that came in with cancer, but but she did. She Six weeks afterwards, she had a biopsy and the cancer was gone. They couldn't find the cancer. Oh. And so, you know, I, I for me, the, the, the time piece is I actually I, I, I printed out a little thing that I that I did on how to have a miracle. I wasn't sure if we were going to go there or not, but um, I was but, I, but I have I have a theory on how miracles happen. So. <laughs> What, well, you can't drop that and not tell me what it is. <laughs> so what I said was, um, you know, miracles are often created by our clients and seem to have a few parts, including, number one, faith that a miracle is possible. Number two, commitment to experiencing a miracle. Number three, trust that a miracle is happening, is happening. Four, deep relaxation sessions in harmony and protector. Five, integrative coaching, unlocking your well-being potential. Mm. Uh, six daily visualization and this is the one of the, the pieces that I didn't speak about actually I can't believe I didn't speak about this but um but every single day my we printed out a picture of a of a whole and healthy eye and every single day first thing in the morning before he got out of bed he looked at that eye and he imagined his eyes looking like that eye <sighs> we didn't I didn't touch on that that's really interesting you know uh, with your permission yeah because uh, technically we're still recording so are you okay if we just leave this part in because this is really this is this is meaningful <laughs> stuff like th- these are okay so all right everybody we're actually still talking to you so thank you for listening uh so proceed now we're back recording that so daily visualization <laughs> of the desired outcome um, letting, and this is, oh my gosh, this is another super, super key component, letting go of the outcome to the, uh, the attachment to the outcome. And this is the place, even if people have all of the other things, so you have the faith that a miracle is possible. You have the commitment to experiencing a miracle. You have trust that a miracle is happening. You, you do the deep relaxation, you do the coaching, you do the daily visualization, but you don't let go of the outcome it doesn't work because you're so attached to having the thing. And so, so much of the, the, the work that I personally do with people is in, you know, if you're holding on to some, if you, if the analogy is the butterfly, right? Mm -hmm. If you grab hold of a butterfly, 
like little kids do this. You, you hold this butterfly and you squish it. It's going to die and you're going to damage it and it's not going to be able to fly away. Right. right. And so it's like peeling the fingers away from the thing that you want and actually letting it go. Mm. And so I'll have people like, and we don't even necessarily know what letting go feels like. And this applies to everything from relationship, I mean, especially with relationships, <laughs> right? We think we own the person we're in relationship to. No, you're going to kill love that way. Well done. Yeah. So it's like, can you, can you hold it lightly in your hand without being attached to the outcome of it? Mm. And I think that's what happens in the moment. So for my son, certainly in the moment where he, um, he, he got connected to, you know, life in the universe and everything uh, and got that it was connection to God and love, that love piece was actually I think the most profound piece, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because if you love something, you let it go. Mm-hmm. And so when you let, you have the desire, you hold the desire, you believe in the desire, you stand in the desire, and then you let it go. And for most people, that is a complete and utter mind fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then um, the last piece is the willingness and ability to continue the process until the desired results are achieved. Mm. And the key component here, too, is time appears to be a variable factor in this scenario. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, it's awesome. I love that. There's a lot of uh, the, the visualization piece is key, like specific. Napoleon yeah. Hill talked about that in Think and Grow Rich, the chief aim. It's not just the desire. It's like you have to have a specific, tangible, measurable, definitive that's when I, that's my target that I'm. Yeah. And so, you know, we have had people come in and, and they say, you know, that maybe with cancer, maybe with something else. And they'll say things like, I'm coming here to die. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. This is the healing center. No, no, no. We don't do that here. (laughs) And they'll say, no, you don't get to tell me what I want. That was sobering the first time that happened. I'm like, Oh, Oh, wait. Yes, this is my center, but this is a this is a vessel for what other people want. Just because I want people to have a certain outcome, I have to let go of that attachment too, right? Yes, <laughs> the, yes. the, the letting go of attachment is not just yours. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, we've we've absolutely had people come here to make peace of, with dying, mm. Um, mm. and then. On their deathbed, they send their family to Eighth Harmony to deal with the grief. Hmm. And so, you know, holding kind of both ends of the spectrum, it has been the most ridiculous honor and privilege to support people, whether they are coming for healing, whether they're coming for, you know, more confidence or in a peace or dealing with grief or whatever it is they're, they're dealing with. And I, you know, I, I have a high need for variety. And so I I think that, that God knew that if I was going to have a center that I was going to have to go to every day, that, that I would need a lot of variety at that center. And so we, we have all kinds of different uh, people who are coming in and, and, and most of them are not actually sick. They're coming in um, because they love coming in. <laughs> Amazing! What a what, a, what an epiphany! <laughs> compare right. that compare that to like the hospital. Oh, right, yeah. right, yeah. Exactly. 
Awesome. All right. Well, I think this is the the second official uh, shutting down of this this phone call. We are not allowed to talk anymore because I'm sure we're going to get into something else. I'm going to want to keep. <laughs> um, all right. So, Charmaine, for the second time, thank you again, and uh, you're welcome to, to continuing the conversation another time. All right. Take care. And this time, we actually are going to hang up. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Good. Bye. Well done, people. <laughs> See you. Bye. Well, what'd you think? I love conversations like this. Charmaine is such a beautiful soul and the work that she's doing in the world is so inspirational. Um, I learned a lot about um, faith and determination and uh, humility listening to Charmaine and her story and what she went through with her son. I hope that you also got a lot out of it. I'd be curious to hear what you did. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me on Instagram at Wired for Impact. Also on Facebook at Wired for Impact. Charmaine is on her website at charmainelam.com. You can also reach her at 8th Harmony. That's 8, the number 8thharmony.org. And you can also reach her on Instagram at 8 underscore harmony. So that's the number 8th underscore harmony. That's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for more. I've got a lot of great episodes coming your way. So talk to you soon.